We are fascinated by the darkness in ourselves. We are fascinated by the shadow. We are fascinated by the boogeyman. Anthony Hopkins. Everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome. It is yet another episode of Felonious Pundits. I am Kintad Spinsgard, and along with me, well, a man who normally needs no introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway, former Mr. Met, author, noted podcaster, and friend, please welcome Mr. A.J. Mass. Goodness gracious, sounds like you're eulogizing me, my friend. <laughs> I'm still here. I'm okay. It's all good. Uh, I'm a little scared of what I won't say for why I won't say, but we'll go into it. <laughs> oh, boy. Ooh, a little mystery. You're a man of mystery as well as all, as all those other accomplishments that I have noted. Anyway, welcome. Here we are again. Another episode of Felonious Pundits. Folks, we have a great time each week talking about the show Criminal Minds. We recap the show. We talk about it. We give some feelings on it. We have a fun little quiz. We have predictions. We have all that great stuff each and every week. And this week, we are going to be talking about Season 2, Episode 6 of Criminal Minds, entitled The Boogeyman. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So, AJ... This episode that we're watching this week was written by Andy with an I Bushell and directed by Steve Boyum. It originally aired on October 25th, 2006. AJ, on this date that this episode aired, the New Jersey State Supreme Court ruled unanimously in favor of marriage equality. Hey, well, that's that's a good news. Yeah. The good news. We don't we don't often get the good news. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm also going to give you a quote verbatim that I found on a website that, you know, lists what happens on this day in history. The uh, website is called takemeback.2, T-O, about this date, because I just thought it was a, a great quote. It says, <clears throat> in that special week of October... People in the U.S. were listening to Moneymaker by Ludacris. <laughs> well, that is a special week. <laughs> you got your Luda. You can marry who you want. What more do you need? Oh, boy. I did forget to mention our little hook on this show, which is I have never seen these episodes before. So this is a first watch for me, and you'll get that perspective from me. And AJ is our grizzled veteran who has seen each episode many times. So you will get that perspective from him. Having said that, after completely blowing the intro, let's get into this week's show. <laughs> let's do it. Blame it on the boogeyman. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. First of all, we do get a quick summary of the events that occurred last week. So that's always important to note when they, when they actually have to uh, recap in the episode. Yeah, that usually means one of two things. Either the story will pick up where we left off, 
or we're reaching way back into the memory well and bringing back some plot point that we had dropped for several months. Uh, this is a pick up where we left off pretty much uh, situation here, but it's always good to have a little bit of a, a refresher course, even if you've only waited a week in between episodes, because sometimes you go, wait, what was last week? Uh, oh, yeah. Well, I can't forget last week, which uh, was entitled Aftermath, and that's the episode where Elle basically broke bad. She whacked the unsub, who was a serial rapist who probably deserved what he got, but L girl, you can't be doing that. <laughs> so we start, like you say, immediately after those events, pretty much L is being called into Hotch's office and they have one of those, uh, you need to close the door conversations. <laughs> one of those, L, you can't be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Hotch has William Lee's case file. He was the unsub that she uh, bumped off. And he tells Elle that the uh, Bureau has concluded its internal investigation. And they do accept her claim that she went to Lee's house to confront him and that she defended him herself after he attacked. But guess what, Elle? Hotch is still ordering you to get a psych report. Uh, Elle says she doesn't need a shrink. And Hotch says it's up to him to make that decision. Elle is like, so you think I'm lying? And Hotch is like, you're the only one who knows what really happened that night. And you need to be honest with yourself since you've got to live with it for the rest of your life. Again, she says she's fine. He tells her everybody can see it. She's anxious. She's on edge. It's noticeable. And Hotch knows hypervigilance when he sees it. Her first evaluation is going to be in an hour. And she says to him, I mean, she makes a crack at, about him being a prosecutor. And she tells him, you know, not everyone is an unsub. And Hotch says, don't be late. And she just does one of her famous L roll, L-I rolls and uh, says, you're the boss in a sarcastic manner. Yeah, I mean, you know, Hotch doing his due diligence. Uh he and Gideon were looking at her after the shooting and they were like, it doesn't smell right and we're pretty good profilers and eh, I don't know about this. So she, you may have gotten away with it, but uh, you know, there are clean shoots for completely obvious reasons in front of thousands of witnesses where they go, you know what, why don't you have a little psychic value? So she really shouldn't be so uh, defensive about this, but you know, I'm just pushing the right buttons, I think. So now we cut to a place called Ozona, Texas. Uh, we're in some woods and we see a boy running away from something, looking back behind him, scared. And then we cut to some other kids and a couple of older kids are, well, I call them bully number one and bully number two. Bully number one is slightly older than bully number two and older than the rest of the group. But uh, yeah, we're, we're they're not relating a not too much older. We're talking like sixth graders to like first graders, second graders. So it's it's not right. like it's high school right. kids and like five year olds. Exactly. Yeah. True. True. Uh, and they're this, they're telling them a story. It sounds like one of those urban legends, one of those scary stories that you tell skid, kids to try to scare them. And uh, the older bully number one is saying, "None of us are safe. This little boy, he was only like six years old. No one ever saw him again." They ask what happened to him. He was walking alone in those woods. And then he stepped on something wet. And when he looked closer, he realized it was blood everywhere. Then he heard someone coming from behind him. Something, someone coming after him. 
He kept looking behind, running away to see what it was. We're kind of cutting back to the the image that we saw at the opening of the boy running. So you kind of think that this is them telling that story of what's happening. Yeah, because especially when they're cutting back, it's kind of grainy, kind of flashbacky, kind of filtering on on the film. So of course, it's like yeah, we're we're, we're right. they're telling the story. Uh, so he continues with the story. Bully number one. Uh, he runs into this old man. And when he tries to ask the old man for help, the old man just smiles, but he has sharp fangs and they're dripping with blood. The boy tries to back away, but before he could, he was captured, he was tortured, and he was eaten. And then one little blonde girl is like, by who? And uh, they say, that evil old man, he watches us all the time. He just watches us. And they point, and you can see a big house up on the hill. And he says, from there, from the house on the hill, that one's haunted. So one of the kids asks, why does he watch us? And they say, because he wants to eat one of us. He's just deciding who's next, next to be hunted like deer, skinned, eaten. Yeah, it's just a matter of time. Wonderful yeah. children. <laughs> I would have been one of those little kids and I would have been like really annoyed at getting this story because I would have probably been scared. I would have been like, no. We cut to the BAU office. Sadly, the kid running before that was not just a story because now we see a picture of a dead boy and jj is explaining who it is nicholas fay of ozona texas beaten to death roughly 13 hours ago blood force trauma he is the second young boy in ozona to die the same death in the last two months there was a local hunter that found his body in the woods the first victim was robbie davis and Ozona's population is only 2,500 people. Everyone has some kind of connection to each other. Morgan says, well, if they weren't linked before, talking about the victims being linked, they most certainly are now. Both were murdered by the same offender. And Gideon says, he's hunting children. Credits. <laughs> criminal minds, we come back to BAU and Hotch is arriving at his office and Arando walks up and informs him that Elle never showed up for her psyche bow. So next we cut to him talking to Gideon and he's saying, Gideon is saying it doesn't look good. And Hotch is saying, no, let's be honest. We know exactly what this looks like. <laughs> no, no dancing around it. Gideon says, well, Elle let her emotion get in her way. And Hotch is like, yeah, and it goes against everything we stand for. So Gideon just reminds him, look, be careful. Don't make the same mistake. She is innocent until proven guilty. And Hotch says he knows. So Gideon says, okay, uh, I'm going go to go to Texas. You find Al. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, uh, it's a pretty ballsy move to miss the first psych eval. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you go and then you say, you know, I'm not doing any more of these. But yeah, definitely a sign of, of guilt. It's, it's a tell. <laughs> it's an L-tell. L-tell. I love it. We cut to L. She's coming out of apparently her apartment building. She's got a overnight bag with her. Her cell phone is ringing. She looks at it and <laughs> tosses it in the garbage. I would say just don't well, answer the phone, but... <laughs> Uh, she knows yeah, as I a mean, seasoned agent. There's tracking stuff in there. Phones exactly. can be tracked. Yeah, I mean, she may have forgotten everything she knew about being an agent when she was supposed to leave the house last week and didn't leave the house for hours. Here, she leaves the house no problem <laughs> and throws the phone in the trash. Right. 
Um, interestingly enough, she's she's not at her house, so I'm assuming maybe she's never gone back to her house. Very true. Since the uh, incident and that she just got this apartment, which is completely understandable. Who would want to go back to uh, that place where you don't feel safe anymore? But anyway, as she toss, tosses the phone into the garbage, Hotch is watching her do this from his car. He's parked right outside, spying on her, basically. She goes to her car, which somehow is parked <laughs> right in front of this big apartment building all by itself. I don't I don't know how you get that prime spot, El, but of all the people that live there, you can get that The convenience spot, of being <laughs> on the shooting schedule. <laughs> right. We uh, hear Hotch give us a voiceover, which is our opening quote. Plato <laughs> himself wrote, we can easily forgive a child who's afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light. Mm, that's way deeper than it actually is, isn't it? <laughs> it sure is. It sure is. Uh, we'll we'll think we'll dwell on that one forever if we attempt to. In any case, L drives off and Hotch starts to follow her. We then cut to the BAU jet. The team is discussing the fact that L was cleared for self-defense. And Reed says, so it was a good shoot. And JJ says, well, she hit what she was aiming for. <laughs> <laughs> JJ's got jokes. I love JJ. Um, Reed says that's not what he meant. And JJ's like, I know, I know. <laughs> and uh, Morgan wonders, well, if she's been cleared, why isn't she or Hotch with the team? Gideon yells at them all to just focus on the case. So that's what his uh, job is. And JJ says, well, the Ozona police and autopsy reports for for Nicholas Faye and Robbie Davis are here. And they discuss killer's motivation. What could it possibly be for killing just these young male victims? There's no apparent sexual motivation. This unsub seems to be taking pleasures from the kill itself. And so they ask if it's not sexual, what's the significance of targeting young males? And they bring up that most serial killers prey upon specific types to carry out their fantasies of revenge. And Reed, who is our serial killer encyclopedia, says Bundy <laughs> killed women that looked like ex an ex-girlfriend who jolted him. And Dahmer claimed that the schoolyard harassment he suffered led to his fury. So, okay, maybe these kids represent someone who victimized the offender. Like a young male from his past, maybe a bully, older brother, someone who abused him. Hey, bully. We have bullies in this episode. Mm -hmm. uh, during this conversation, JJ gets a call and she says, well, something's changed now. Now they just found another body. This time it's an 11-year-old girl. And so, of course, they wonder, as they always do, why did the victimology suddenly change? It looks like perhaps the sex of his victims is not significant to the case. Uh, in other words, oh, the last five minutes of our postulating means Jack Diddley Squatch. So glad you paid attention. <laughs> and Gideon says the pace of this these killings certainly indicate a velocity of change, which means just say things are speeding up. Don't give me this velocity of change, but go ahead. A velocity of change, which requires an acceleration of a reaction. <laughs> To which, to which you and I say, shut up, jerk. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> See, that's a math joke. <laughs> yeah. yeah gotta, okay. Um, explained. 
change in acceleration over time is called jerk. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, you threw me for a loop there. Uh, They wonder how they're going to be able to keep all the kids in Ozona safe. Because right now, basically, if you're a kid, you're a target. And, you know, like they say, children shouldn't have to worry at all about something like this. Although I will say, I mean, they're not wrong, but, you know, they did say how small this town is. So when they say all the kids, I mean, it's it's not like it's all the kids of Los Angeles or all the kids of a major city. It's, it's, It's all the kids in Ozona. How many could there be? True. I think we probably see all of them during this episode. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> um, so uh, now JJ starts talking about how the woods were the only thing that scared her when she was growing up. And and Morgan is all, seriously? But I thought you grew up in a small town. And JJ's like, yeah, surrounded by woods. <laughs> uh, and uh, <laughs> Morgan is kind of laughing. He's just like, yeah, bummer for you. And uh, Morgan, he says, the only thing I was afraid of was the dark. And Reed says, some of us still are. (laughs) Oh, Reed. They will not miss an opportunity to infantilize Spencer. (laughs) Uh, And JJ just gives him a little stare when he says this. Uh, Gideon says, look, guys, when we land, Morgan and Reed, you go to this new crime scene of the little girl. And he's going to go look at the scene where Nicholas Bay was found. Doesn't mention JJ. Just, you know. JJ going to do what JJ going to do because JJ don't need to be told what to do. JJ just do it. That's right. And she got jokes. (laughs) She got jokes. Uh, So he holds up the photo of the boy's body because it's been a little while since we've Kodak traveled. And we do Kodak travel to the crime scene. Yeah, it's a bit of a pump fake, but yeah, then we get there. Yeah. Yeah, local sheriff is now there. He's telling Gideon that this is where the uh, criminal dumped the body. Gideon is going into his Sherlock Holmes mode. <laughs> um, <laughs> he has a quick look around and tells the sheriff that this is clearly not a dump site. The murder happened right here. The sheriff says, yeah, this poor little guy, he really never had a chance. So far into these woods, no one could hear him scream. And Gideon said, well, that's exactly how the killer wanted it. And uh, the sheriff is like, you know, these last two months, we've lost more children in this town than we have in my whole lifetime. The residents are terrified. I have an eight-year-old myself. In his mind, Gideon is seeing, it's almost like a ghost of the eight-year-old boy looking around, scared, but maybe with a hint of recognition in his face. I don't know how he got this clue, but (laughs) Gideon says, uh, (laughs) their victim knew their killer. Uh, He followed him to this spot. The sheriff says, well, what makes you think that? And he says, well, I guess they went this deep into the woods because they trusted him. He probably stashed his weapon here beforehand. This means we're looking for someone intelligent and methodical. And the sheriff says, well, the way this kid's head was bashed in looks more like a moment of rage to him. And Gideon agrees and says, well, that's what's confusing. It doesn't make sense. You know, it's just Gideon being Gideon again, because it's like, I'm going to speculate wildly. Really? How do you know that? Well, you know, it just is. But what about this? Yeah, that doesn't fit in with my theory at all. But it doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes. And then we cut to see another local cop who's talking to Reed and Morgan at the uh, latest victim, the little girl's crime site. And he's saying this is just a quarter mile from where the two boys were killed and that she was bludgeoned to death the same way. 
And there's a, I guess he's a coroner or a CSI type of guy there. I, I called him coroner here. And uh, he says, it's not entirely true that it was the same way. He found some markings on her scalp that indicated that this guy beat her post-mortem. So Reed suggests, well, it looks like our unsub is getting more brazen. And the coroner's like, yeah, he's getting brazen, all right. <laughs> uh, he's bagged three children in this last month. And Morgan says, and now he's spending more time with the victims even after death, which means he had to know that he had some time. He wasn't going to be interrupted. How did he know that? How could he be so sure? And the coroner says, well, this forest goes on for miles and miles. Nobody goes walking in it, you know, unless they're looking to kill. And Morgan sees a sign about hunting posted on one of the trees. And he says, or hunt, in which case he knows every inch of these woods, right? Every trail. Reed, whoever killed these children is very familiar with this area. In my opinion, he probably lived in Ozona his whole life. It's a, that's a fair assessment. I mean, I, I do think you tend to have uh, in these go-to-small-town cases, I mean, you know, the profile is almost always going to be, he's probably lived here his whole life, he's one of you, and, and you know, then the, the, oh, it could be one of us, oh, we know everybody here. Like, that, that tends to be the conflict of these episodes a lot. Uh, you know, I notice that I, I don't think I ever learned this, the sheriff's name in this town because again if they don't give you the name right off the bat they don't matter they're not really they're, they're not gonna they're not gonna help they're not gonna hinder it's just gonna be they're just there to, because they need to have a sheriff in the town because it would be silly if they showed up and no one was there so it's just an empty suit but he's not gonna be helpful there uh which probably means that uh the bau is gonna be right <laughs> exactly we cut to what at first I thought was the profile scene, and it is still a profile scene in a sense, but instead of talking to a group of police, they're actually talking to a group of concerned parents and other community members. Uh, and there's actually a guidance counselor there who is sort of leading off things, but then he quickly introduces Gideon. Gideon tells the crowd that, that they're doing everything they can to find the person responsible. But until they do find them, there's a number of precautions that they're going to have to take. We cut to Morgan and JJ, and they're going over the same thing to a group of school students. So they've obviously split up and are informing the community of what's going on. And yeah, I mean, it was horrible in the next scene when the parents all get up and said, we're not putting any poison in our veins! <laughs> oh, wait, that's not what they're telling them they have to do? No. Oh, this must be an old old episode. I forgot. <laughs> it is. It is. 2006. 2006. Um, so they explain to the kids the buddy system. You always go everywhere with a friend. And Morgan says, you know, bad women and, and men are more likely to talk to you only when you're by yourselves. And we don't know what these guys look like yet. It could be somebody you know. And a girl in the crowd asks about the possibility of getting grabbed from right in front of her house like she saw one time on the news. Could that happen to us? And they say, look, nothing's going to happen to any of you as long as you remember this buddy system. Okay? Yeah, I, I'm glad they didn't put it in some sort of corny rhyme. Uh, and I'm also glad that they were not going to stranger danger here because they've already determined that it's probably someone you know. So it's not like, if you see any strangers, don't go with them in the van and don't, don't take their kid. No, it's like, just stick with the buddy. Go from point A to point B. Y'all be okay. We cut back to Gideon's group. And a woman asks, 
did you ever find this hat? And the guidance counselor explains to Gideon that she's Nicholas Fay's mother. And she says, the red one, I put on him. He had it on when he left. And Gideon says, no, they haven't. So yeah, the boy had a, a red baseball cap, which I did not mention previously. And it was not found. I think you did. You might have mentioned it, it, it in the uh, flash, but it's in the flashback, which that we thought was a flashback of the story, but actually was really happening. Yeah, he was running around with a red hat, which was not found on the body when, when the body was found. Exactly. So the guidance counselor announces to the crowd that they are starting a mandatory curfew staring at 5 p.m. Fascist communist <laughs> government! <laughs> and just make sure you know where your children are. Don't tell me what to do! I have rights! <laughs> I'm sorry, school board meetings are going to trigger me these days. <laughs> I, I, could, I could sense that. Uh, it's almost over, AJ. You're almost done. Right. Oh, no, yeah, two more years. <laughs> oh, boy. So next we cut to the uh, haunted house that the boys from the earlier scene were talking about. And those two boys, Bully 1 and Bully 2, are there with a third younger boy. And apparently they're daring the younger boy to go ring the doorbell and run away. The little boy is clearly scared and does not want to do this. I half expected a puddle of urine to appear full around his legs. This kid plays scared wonderfully. Yes. And these two bullies play bullies pretty good too because while I won't say it was oh so traumatic, I was I was probably the kid that was getting picked on a little bit and I just really the the bullying is kind of a trigger for me. So I was just like, "Ah, these kids are jerks." No argument. <laughs> <laughs> they tell him it's going to be okay. They bully, they bully him into to going ahead and going up to ring the doorbell. I, I, you, you're they saying say, their, ta their tactic was actually pretty good there because, like you said, he's like, well, um, I don't want to do it. Why don't you do it? We've done it seven hundreds times already. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> They've already done it. They know it's going to be okay. And besides, they're going to be right there waiting for him. They'll be there, so everything will be just fine. So the boy slowly starts to walk up the steps. Creepy music is playing. The house is a creepy old brick house. Ow. Uh, mighty, mighty. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, stupid little bullies take off running pretty much immediately as soon as the boy is <laughs> on the porch. And uh, they're gone. And he's at the door now. And he starts to back away from it. And as he does so, we hear a sound like someone stepping on a branch coming from right behind him. And the boy gasps and turns around. And as we fade out, we hear him start to scream. Yeah, it's a pretty good uh, cliffhanger getting into commercial there. I, you know, a savvier kid would have turned around, noticed that the bullies were gone, and then just walked away. He say, oh, yeah, I did it. Of course I did it. Yeah, right. <laughs> but this, this kid's clearly <laughs> too scared to, even if he's savvy in real life, <laughs> the fear has right. taken over. So next we cut to Hotch. Uh, Gideon has called him, and he gives Gideon a quick rundown on what Elle's up to. Gideon asks if she's running. He says he doesn't know. He hopes not. He's following her. Gideon says keep him posted. And now we're with Gideon at the police station. He gets everyone's attention. He tells them, again, due to the velocity of change... <sighs> They predict that the offender could strike again at any time soon. As they're explaining these details, 
a woman uh, is coming into the station. She has her young son with her. She's looking worried, and a, a cop brings her over to talk to, to Gideon and them. And she says her son Matthew never came home today. Uh-oh. They ask where was he last seen. She says his teacher saw him in the parking lot after school. They start springing into action, talk about setting up a search team. Meanwhile, the mom is getting freaked out by all this action all of a sudden as soon as she comes in. And JJ is the one who, of course, sees that this woman is maybe starting to freak out a little bit. And she is pregnant, uh, by the way, also. Uh, so JJ walks over to her, uh, has her sit down. She says, how old is Matthew? She, the mom says eight. And JJ says, you know what? I have a niece that that's eight. They're very resourceful at that age. Just JJ, another example. Yeah, I mean, of JJ being perfect. <laughs> J- JJ is is awesome. You will never hear me say otherwise. Uh, yeah, the, you know, I I think I could understand the cops if this town is as small as they say it is. She walks in and says, "My kid never came home." They know it's eight year old Matthew. Like they, they know they know all the details. They know where she lives. They know where to go. Like. They don't need to ask the questions that we as viewers need answered and that the BAU would have no idea. So I, I get that the cops don't ask the questions, but yeah, uh, sit down. <laughs> that, that's the simple yeah. stuff. That, that's the little details that only JJ seems to notice. Gideon does notice that the woman's little boy that's with her, he looks like he's holding something back, AJ. Because Gideon is a profiler. <laughs> so... He knows deceit, he can smell it, <laughs> and he goes in for the yeah, kill. So he goes to the little boy, and basically he convinces him to protect his brother. He really needs to tell him uh, what's going on, because they they can tell he has a secret. So little boy lets them know that Maddie was going to ring the bell at the haunted house. So they're kind of like, huh? And the counselor, guidance counselor chimes in that that's the Finnegan place. So they ask who's Finnegan, and the sheriff explains, oh, it's a local legend, a ghost story. He supposedly watches these kids from his window, then he hunts them down, skins them, and eats them. You know, standard stuff. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he he leaves bodies in the woods that are all bloody and beaten and bruised, but we didn't think it was relevant. The, uh, the the guidance counselor does say that, you know, folks have been telling this story since he was a kid. And Morgan's like, why haven't we heard about this? You know, sometimes these fables are sparked by an ounce of truth. We need to exhaust every possibility out there. Well, you know, but, but forget about exhausting it. The kid just said he was at the house, right. so go to the house. I mean, we don't need... We don't need this? I mean, for context of, of the town and everything, sure. But it's like... Well, we need to exhaust every possibility, and let's start with the place that his brother said he was going. <laughs> it's just it's just a little weird. That would be a good all. idea. Clunky writing. Clunky writing. I, in general, I, I think this, epi- this episode is really efficient with its writing. That's what I like about this episode. It, it, it's very bare bones, but there's not a lot of plot holes or anything in this, so... The clunky writing does stand out when it on the few places it exists. <laughs> Uh, next, AJ, we cut to a cemetery. We see a gravestone for Robert Greenway. Whom we've seen. Who we have seen. Sort of. Albeit in, in a uh, death haze. 
But uh, he was an NYPD officer, killed in the line of duty, died in 1979. Elle is there, and she's looking at the gravestone, and she says, I'm sorry, Dad. Hotch is, of course, standing behind her, and she senses him, and it's like she knew he was there probably the whole time. She says, uh, you've been following me. He asks her what's going on. Much like Frazier, he's listening. <laughs> <laughs> she says, okay, look, I really wanted to be a part of the team. And Hot says, and you are. And she says, but when I needed the team, I was all alone. I was alone in the one place that I have the right to feel safe in. That's my home. And that's what happened to those women in Ohio who were attacked. They all had the right to feel safe in their homes. And Hutch says, well, does that justify taking the law into your own hands? And she's still playing it like, well, what makes you say that I have? And he says, uh, maybe because you're here confessing your sins <laughs> to your dead father. Um, he says, look, I know I don't have any evidence. And she knows how quickly he would arrest her if he did. And so he asks her what they're going to do about this situation. Yeah, they're at a bit of an impasse here because, I mean, you know, he did basically just hear her say to, to the, the grave, I'm sorry for what if you have nothing to be sorry for? And yes, that's not a confession or evidence like he said, but, you know, we all know what's going on here. And so it's just, are we going to agree to forget about this? You know Hotch ain't going to do that. So is she going to go get help, which would probably be a wise thing to do, if only for the fact that she's still angry at Hotch for something some unsub did. Uh, she should. She won't. Because that's not in her nature. So yeah, I mean, Hotch pretty much puts it out there. So what the hell do we do? Where do we go from here? We cut next to the cops and the BAU team pulling up to the Finnegan place. And I think, just because we need to make it spooky... They decide to go. It's night now. I don't I don't buy that all of a sudden it's night. I think that was just like, you know what would make this even scarier going up to this spooky house? It's, it's nighttime. So. I mean, yeah, especially because Hotch was just at the cemetery with L on the East Coast. Nice. We're in an earlier time zone and it's nighttime on the cut and yes time could have passed but you are correct that quick smash cut to the same time in a different place but it no yeah. <laughs> uh but you know whatever you need to do for the effect agreed <laughs> yeah i mean it's a small town it's not going to take them hours to get there and reed is like again it sure does look like a haunted house so Reed is buying it hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> Do you mean there could be g g g ghosts in there, Morgan? Uh, so Morgan and a, a local uh, cop decide that they're going to go check out the house. And Reed and Gideon are going to, meanwhile, check all the outbuildings on the property. The door to the house is not locked, so Morgan and the local go straight in. So Morgan, so Morgan locks it and then kicks it in. <laughs> no, missed opportunity there for Morgan to do his uh, standard kick in the door. They go through and they clear out the house. The electricity is out. There's spooky music playing the whole time. Okay, this is the Halloween episode. Yep. It was done around Halloween, so you, you get it. But yeah, yeah. So uh, Morgan and this other cop don't find anything. 
except for they do find today's newspaper dated today, which means that someone was indeed in the house earlier at some point. Right, because it's inside, it's not on the porch, which means someone had to have brought it in. Not the, just right. the fact that the newspaper is there isn't the thing, the fact that it's inside. Reed and Gideon actually have better luck because very quickly they go down a little stairwell and they find Matthew, who is not hurt. He's been in hiding this whole time because he got scared and he didn't want the old man to find him. So he just found a place where he could hide and that's where he's been this whole time. Yeah, uh, really, really resourceful, this kid. <laughs> <laughs> JJ, not everybody is your niece, okay? <laughs> Oh, gosh. Yeah, but it completely fits in with his completely scared character that we put. Yeah, no, no, kid's killing it. (laughs) Uh, So we cut to a bit later, and Reed is now in the house. Still no electricity on, still night, and Reed is kind of hunkered down. Well, oh, okay, no, no, let's not not be mad at them for it still being night. (laughs) Night lasts a while. (laughs) Uh, Good point. But uh, Reed is on the phone with Garcia, and she is telling him that Finnegan's house on the hill is like the Bates Motel of Ozona, Texas. I I like that (laughs) reference. And uh, she's telling Reed, seriously, people go into that house and supposedly they never come out. She's like, spooky. (laughs) And Reed is like, look, Garcia, could you at least not pretend to enjoy that rumor so much since I've actually entered this house? (laughs) <laughs> what's your favorite scary movie read <laughs> yeah. she calls him sensitive and uh however there are no reports of anything actually ever happening at the house all the complaints that were filed on all those missing people were you know false complaints but garcia says but then there is the matter of his missing wife his wife apparently went missing almost 50 years ago Reed asks if she was ever found. <laughs> On this very evening, 50 years ago, and she looked like this. Garcia references rear window, says that this guy has probably chopped up this lady into delicious bites and little pieces. <laughs> she says, think about it. She's probably never left the premises. She may still be in the house. Reed, he's, he's like that. That little boy from before, Maddie, was probably like Reed waiting to grow up (laughs) because Reed is buying this and getting a little bit nervous. And he tells her, you know, I'm sitting here in the dark alone. Thanks. And and while you're waiting for a potential murderer to come, it's kind of dangerous, kind of sexy. And by the way, Finnegan's driver's license is up on Garcia's monitor, and he definitely looks just like a Scooby-Doo villain. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not—it's not just an old man. It is an old man who's definitely gonna kill you, kids. <laughs> Reed is hearing noises from somewhere in the house, and he's like, "I, I gotta go." Uh, Garcia's like, "Oh, you're having such creepy fun. I wish I was there." Uh, <laughs> Reed hangs up. He turns around and bumps right into Morgan. Reed gives a startled scream, and Morgan, of course, makes fun of him. <laughs> You know, saying, you really are afraid of the dark. And Reed is like, well, I'm working on that. And Morgan tells him he sh- he needs to work a little bit harder. The sheriff comes in, says that his deputy got the boy home safe. 
Turns out, again, kid got spooked by a tree branch. (laughs) Morgan says, oh man, this whole town is on edge. And Gideon says, well, maybe that's why Finnegan's in the wind. They uh, continue searching the place. They see a gun rack. Apparently, Finnegan is an avid hunter who must know every trail in Ozona. But their unsub didn't use a gun. But then they find backpacks and belongings that are clearly belonging to some kids. And they're even marked with their names, Robbie Davis, Sarah P. So a couple of the victims, this is his, their stuff. Uh, so Morgan is saying, well, I guess Finnegan brought these kids back here first before baiting them into the woods. But why wouldn't he get rid of the evidence? Reed says he probably considers them trophies. And Morgan is like, when this is all said and done, I'd like to hang his head on my wall. And I guess they're just assuming that Finnegan is the unsub. And I'm like, Morgan, there is still too much time in this episode. I don't think you got it right. <laughs> I mean, well, Morgan does not know there's too much time left in this episode. But yeah, I mean, okay, you know, we heard rumors about this house. We went in the house. There's evidence in the house. Hey, there's no reason to think it's an able but Finnegan at this point. So, uh, you know, you can understand it. However, in the very next scene. <laughs> What? Uh, We cut to some of the local cops that they're searching the area. And one has an excellent stick that he is using to search the area with, poking and prodding. And luckily, he is the one that finds the bear trap. Because if one of the others that didn't have a stick was walking around, might have got snapped by this bear trap that he has found. But also, unfortunately, they see a hand by this bear trap and it leads to a body that has clearly been buried under some leaves and aj who do you who do you suspect is the body that they find um is it the only character that is a suspect (laughs) of course it is it's old man finnegan (laughs) and i would have gotten away with it too if i wasn't lying here dead right so we cut to a little bit later. So now that whole area is a crime scene. Apparently Finnegan died of natural causes. Reed says, well, his heart probably gave out while he was out here setting the bear trap. And let me tell you, bear traps are not easy to set. It is a bit of a strangest activity. So I, I will grant you that. Not that I've ever done it, but I've seen enough TV shows to know it's it's a strangest activity. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I, I went with it. But apparently they can tell that he's been dead at least all week which is before the second and third murders ever happened. And which means he's a ghost! <laughs> the coroner points out that somebody else clearly found him first because those leaves didn't cover him up by themselves. Hey, the coroner's, the coroner's with it. Right. Coroner's, the coroner's actually uh, one of those character actors who's been in like a billion gazillion things, most notably uh, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. He's the guy with the fly lures all over his head the whole time if you've seen television or movies in the past 40 50 years you've seen this guy at some point right uh so morgan is like well our only suspect has now been cleared we go back to square one and gideon says no if finnegan's been dead all this time then who's living in his house (gasps) good question it's a good it's a good Good question. Look, we, we found the evidence. Somebody's there. At least <laughs> the somebody's reading the paper. Yeah, we, that's not fake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We cut to later inside Finnegan's house. 
it's now light outside and there's no spooky music playing. So now we're not afraid of the house anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Of course not. And uh, Morgan asks Reed what's he up to. uh, And Reed is just thinking that this unsub has found Finnegan's corpse in a lightly traveled part of the woods and no one else knew about it. And Morgan says, so he was able to use this house and then no one else would be the wiser because obviously the unsub knows that Finnegan is dead. But Reed says, actually, I was referring to Finnegan's wife. (laughs) 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 Morgan asks what he's talking about and Reed says, well, she was rumored to be missing, perhaps killed almost 50 years ago. But in actuality, she left Finnegan for another man because Finnegan has written it in his journals, which is what Reed was reading. So Finnegan writes about how he would look out the window on a daily basis to see if she would come home. She never did. He never recovered from that. Day 10,015, still no sign of Lucy. (laughs) (laughs) But this explains why he was always looking out of the window and, and somehow this turned into a legend that scare that the kids would use to scare each other. So they figured out that part of the mystery. Again, this is what where Morgan's line makes sense. You know, there's 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 a strand of truth to it. You know, so yeah, right. Uh, Gideon comes in, says he found something. They join him in the kitchen, and there's provisions delivered by a church group to every elder's doorstep, and. Each one that's there is dated after Finnegan died. So the unsub ate almost everything, but it also left unopened bowls of cream spinach. And they were thrown into the trash, uh, each one individually wrapped up with duct tape. Uh, Reed says, one with each tray. And Morgan says, so we're looking for a guy who really, really hates spinach. (laughs) And Reed says, well, who doesn't? (laughs) We can eliminate Um, Popeye the Sailor Man. (laughs) This guy clearly has rituals. He's meticulous. He's organized. Gideon tells him, let's get these prints. Have Garcia run them for a match. Uh, The phone rings. Gideon's phone rings. And it's Hotch. Gideon leaves the room. Reed says to Morgan, oh, this is about L, isn't it? So they know what's going on, clearly. Uh, Morgan is like, I don't know. And <laughs> Reed says, well, he talked to her back in Ohio before and that he went to her room one night and she was drinking. And Morgan is just like, she almost died. I'd be drinking too. Yeah, it's it's it's, fill, it's filler just so that we can uh, remember that there's an L storyline going on. We didn't really need this scene because we, we saw we saw Reed talk to her. <laughs> but sometimes you need a little padding. Not a lot happens in this episode. So you need a little bit of padding. <laughs> Very efficient. Uh, we cut to a little bit later. Reed and JJ are, are, and Morgan are sitting around on what looks to be like a little coffee break, um, and which is fair. They they deserve a break. Can't work all the time. But uh, Morgan does take the opportunity to ask JJ uh, what about the woods caused her to be afraid. And JJ starts looking like there's some horrible past experience that she's remembering. So she starts to relay it to them. She says, I used to be a camp counselor. And when I was a teenager uh, in the woods up in Vermont, and I worked the night shift, took the girls in, turned off the lights, typical drill. Everything seemed fine. All the kids were asleep. Nothing seemed out of the ordinary until she noticed that there was some 
tracks and blood on the hallway floor. So she followed the blood trail out of the camp director's cabin, out to the camp director's cabin. She walked up to his bed, and he was just lying there underneath his covers. Dead. Someone stabbed him. She ran out of there so fast, out of the door, down the hall. She just remembers it, it being really dark. And once she got to the door, there was another counselor there, and I, I guess that she heard her scream, and, and they caught the caretaker on his way to town. I guess he still had the knife on him. And uh, Morgan and Reed are transfixed. And Morgan's like, you serious? And she's like, no, you idiots. I don't know why I'm afraid of the woods. I just am. Why is he still afraid of the dark? She says, pointing at Reed. JJ got jokes! Uh, and Morgan, <laughs> yeah. And Morgan's like, yeah, Reed, why are you still afraid of the dark? And uh, Reed says, because it's the end of the inherent absence of light. It's just a great scene. It's just a nice, fun scene. The three of them are so perfect together. It, it, give, given what's going on in this episode overall and where we're going to get to, it, it's nice to see how well this team operates and will continue to operate for years and years to come. These people don't really need any help from anyone else except Morgan, Reed, and JJ. <laughs> Morgan is like, oh, that was pretty good, but you know, payback's a bitch. Uh, I'm going to make a prediction. Some point in this show, Morgan will play some kind of similar. All right. Payback we shall see. To JJ. An unasked for prediction. An unasked okay, for prediction. Very good. Duly noted. We shall see. <laughs> JJ doesn't seem to be too scared. She's like, ooh, I'm shaking. But meanwhile, Morgan's phone rings. He looks at it and answers. Says, yeah. And Garcia's like, oh, I love our relationship. We hardly need words. And Morgan's immediately like, hey, girl, you got something good for me? Garcia has pulled some sets of prints from the food trays. Uh, one of them belongs to a child. And Morgan, don't even bother asking. She already has her minions tracking down who those prints belong to. Morgan has foolishly asked her. She's already on that. But the more interesting thing, in the meantime, she matched the other print. And it belongs to James Charles. Guess who James Charles is, AJ? Well, I don't have to guess. I watched the episode and have seen it many times. That's right. I'm doing this for dramatic effect. For the Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, is it a g -g 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 ghost? <laughs> <laughs> yes no it's that guidance counselor that has been speaking up all oh, this time i did think it was odd that he was starting with the profile and everything like that mm, very suspicious so morgan is like wait a minute he's the local guidance counselor that's been helping us on this case so garcia gives him his address he hangs up the phone and annoys me by saying call gideon we just found our unsub i'm like you got a you just got a phone in your hand <laughs> call gideon <laughs> that's right <laughs> Uh, <laughs> anyway we cut to the team and they're already outside they, they no wasted time we cut immediately to mr charles's house the sheriff is asking him if they're sure about this and they list all the ways that this guy matches the profile he's born and raised in ozona he knows the territory he works with children he's highly organized He's injected himself into this kind of investigation and Gideon asks, well, did anything happen to him in the last six months that might change his life? And the sheriff says, 
Well, his wife did walk out on his on on him and his kid. <laughs> Another instance of just the local sheriff just not getting it. <laughs> it's like, you know, you didn't think that was important to tell us when we told you that we think he's the unsub. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Morgan's like, well, there's your stressor, dude. And uh, Charles walks out of his house, and JJ, the one who's paying attention to the suspect still, <laughs> says, hey, guys, he's on the move. Um, Charles spots them. Of course, he starts to run. There's a very brief, very brief chase. Yes, very brief. Uh, which is our cue, of course, to have Morgan get to do a flying tackle. Uh, why are you running why are you running Morgan starts screaming at him and they search him and he has Nicholas Faye's red hat on him we cut to a break mm, mm, mm. had a different meaning back then <laughs> we come back from break and Morgan is handling the interrogation of Charles and AJ he's going at him hardcore this whole time hard hard pretty much screaming at him he gives him a legal pad tells him look let's save all the time just sign a confession charles says he was never in finnegan's house morgan says yeah well we got your fingerprints all over the food trays in the house and he says yes because i'm the one who delivers the food trays and the sheriff tells gideon oh yeah that is true he (laughs) he started working at the food bank shortly after his wife left (laughs) You know, and you just you just wish you could go, okay, okay, so let me get this straight. You knew we were arresting him because we found his prints on the food trays, and you didn't think it was important to tell us that he's the guy who delivers the food trays. Yeah, Jeez. and Gideon says, luckily, you know, fingerprints aren't all the evidence we have. So that's Morgan asking him now, well, what are you doing with Nicholas Faye's hat? Maybe you're trying to get rid of it, or were you so proud of your little keepsake that you just want to find a nice, safe place to hide it? How have these last six months been for you, James? Not too good, huh? I don't know. Whole life is falling apart, ain't it? Oh, yeah. Maybe you got a feeling of a loss of control, a sense of abandonment, and I I would guess a little impotent, maybe? Oh, no. Where'd that come from? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. But Morgan is trying everything. He's like, come on, man, give me something. Why'd your wife leave you? What happened, Jane? She got bored? You don't, you don't really seem all that exciting to me. <laughs> She's starting to feel un, uninspired. You're not a minute, man, are you? I mean, he's going out of it, Jay. He's uh, like, yeah, that's what it is. You're done before she even can get started. She left you for another man. Charles can't take it. He, he gets mad. He flings the notebook off the table. He stands up. Like he's foolishly about to fight Morgan. Uh, he doesn't obviously make a move because I, who would do that at that point? <laughs> but uh, Morgan is like, ooh, okay. Now it's getting all exciting. Uh, why don't you just come over here and sit your ass down because you ain't going home. Um, meanwhile, Garcia is calling Gideon. She lets him know that the second set of prints didn't match any of the victims. Yeah, it it makes sense that if it's a kid's prints, it's 
odds of it being in some sort of system somewhere are very, very small. But, you know, at least you can check it against the dead bodies you have, unfortunately. So uh, that's about as... Uh, even clickety-clack ain't going to help Garcia come up with who these prints belong to. Right. But Gideon does have a good idea. He tells her to that there's possibly a fourth victim out there, so why don't we check the surrounding towns and areas for any reports of any missing children and then get back. Oh, that's a good plan. Absolutely. You never know when these, you know, if the writer had chosen to, that could have been what could solve the case. It's just that's just not what the writer chose. <laughs> right. We uh, cut to JJ talking to Reed about Charles's son, basically, and she's saying she feels bad. You know, his mother left, and now his father's in custody, and now we got to take this poor kid into child services. And Reed is like, it's the law, and JJ says, so is jaywalking. I don't like it. And I agree with JJ. I hate the fact that there's a jaywalking involved. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, you know, it's one of those crimes that's on the book so they can get you if they want to get you. But 999 times out of 1,000, then no, nobody even sees you doing it. <laughs> Quick story. I got a jaywalking ticket when I was a teenager, and I said, I'm not going to jaywalking. Get, get out of town. I'm not going to pay this. Uh, but apparently, because I was on my bicycle he said it was jaywalking but i was on my bicycle so i was jay biking (laughs) Um, and so i didn't pay it i'm a teenager but apparently this led to a warrant come to a little bit later maybe a year later i'm in a car with some teenagers who are acting silly speeding we get pulled over i'm the only one who shows my license because all the other kids are smart. I don't have a license. And I'm like, Mr. Respect the Law, mm-hmm. show them my license. And I have a warrant out for my arrest that I did not know about for this jaywalking ticket. So I got dragged to prison, and that's my life of being a hardcore criminal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, thank goodness you got that settled then, because otherwise this could be the last podcast episode of Polonius Pundits. Right. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I mean, obviously it was ridiculous and the case was basically uh, thrown out, but that's my scary story. <laughs> 40 years later, as Kintad is still in the prison cell sharing with Stephen Avery. <laughs> God. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> yeah, so JJ calls... Jaywalking. <laughs> yeah. JJ calls the school because she needs to arrange to pick up Jeffrey Charles, who is uh, Mr. Charles's son. But the school tells her something that all of a sudden changes her tone. She doesn't even bother to tell Reed. She rushes to tell tell Gideon. Guess what? Jeffrey was never at school today. His father said he was sick. So Gideon calls Morgan, who's still in there yelling at Charles. Uh, Morgan takes the call, and then he tells Charles, So what were you doing? Working your way up to the victim you wanted to kill most? Your son? What did you do with him, James? Are you really that weak that you blame your own kid for your failed marriage? And James is like, shut up. And Morgan's like, no, you talk to me. I mean, he's still going at him hard. Well, I mean, you know, the kid didn't show up for school, but the father knew he didn't show up to school because he called him called him out sick. So, I mean, you know, two plus two does often equal four. I, I would think this guy killed his own son, too. And uh, Morgan is like, I need to understand this. You beat those children and they trusted you. Why? Why? So you can regain your power? I got a little newsflash for you. You never had any power to begin with. And Charles is just like, that's right. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. He's got a little little bravado there. 
And Morgan is like, I am far, so far finished from you. I'm going to go all night. You understand this? You make me sick. We cut to James Charles's house. The local cops are there searching it with Reed and JJ there as well. Reed finds an EpiPen, and then he goes to the refrigerator, tells JJ he found something. Then he calls Gideon, says he found an EpiPen in a refrigerator that's filled with dairy products that have been sealed with duct tape. Duct tape. Did I say duct cake? Duct cake. Uh, <laughs> There's some duck pie, some duck cake. <laughs> so uh, Gideon thanks him and actually says that this is very helpful because now Gideon has an idea of what's going on. Yeah, and, 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 and into- Gideon does not smile all that often in the middle of a case. So the fact that Gideon is very, very pleased is, is, is definitely a tell that the uh, Oh, we are going to wrap things up very, very quickly now. Yeah. He goes into the interrogation room. Morgan is still yelling at Charles. (laughs) Gideon is like, "Uh, you know what? Can I have a minute with him? And Morgan's like, yeah, of course. And he leaves. And Gideon is all good cop with Charles. He's like, rough day, huh, buddy? (laughs) How about a cup of coffee? How about a cup of coffee? Let me get you some coffee. Uh, You want milk with that? Okay, just say when. Can I have three sugars? So, Can I have maybe a little, a little creamer, hazelnut? Yeah. <laughs> so he, he pours the coffee with the milk, gives it to, to Charles, and he's very patient and watches him drink a sip. And then he says, so how long have you known? Huh? That your son is a murderer. Dun, dun, dun. Charles is like, what are you talking about? Gideon says, well... You might have been the one who brought the food trays to Finnegan's, but your son is the one who ate them. Everything but the cream spinach. Charles says, you know what? I, I'm going to confess. Get me a pen, <laughs> basically. Uh, and Gideon's like, no, 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 no. We found an EpiPen in your kitchen. And what does that prove? My kid has an allergy. And Gideon says, yeah, the milk. And Charles is like, well, how did you know that? And he's, Gideon says, well, you just told me. When you drink uh, the milk in the coffee, yeah. clearly you ain't the one with a deadly allergy to milk. Right. Uh, Jeffrey's allergy is dangerous, so much so that he must have wrapped the only dairy product in there with duct tape so he wouldn't accidentally eat it because Mr. Charles taught him how to protect himself, all how to protect himself. Mr. Charles starts to break down at this point. He's near tears. He says he found the baseball cap. He found it this morning. It was in his son's drawer. He's crying at this point and getting this like, where is he, Mr. Charles? We cut to some of the kids from before and a girl who I recognize as one of them little fanning girls. And it was, coincidentally, it was Elle. L fanning, and- which of course translates to... Uh- L missing because <laughs> L is missing from most of this episode. <laughs> uh, but anyway, this little girl is trying to get her friend that's supposed to walk home with her to walk home with her. But I think he appears to be the little bully buddy, bully number two of bully number one. And they're going to go off together and do whatever little bully mischief they're going to do. So they are going where they are and the girl is alone. But all of a sudden, Young, redheaded Jeffrey Charles is there, and I have nothing against the redheads. I'm just pointing it out. 
No, I mean, he stands out certainly, especially in this town. And, you know, he was in the police station earlier. The the, the guy's counselor made a point like, oh, I had to bring him. Can't leave him home alone kind of thing. So, you know, he's been in the episode before. So it's another case of where he was hiding in plain sight. Uh, But certainly we know that this is not good (laughs) that he's offering to uh, walk her home. You know, just creepy. I know a shortcut as he brandishes a baseball bat. <laughs> I, I, well, and because she's a kid and she knows him and he's probably a baseball player that won't seem odd to her at no. all that he has a baseball bat, but we know what's Absolutely. going on. And uh, yeah, no, little girl. <laughs> Dakota's um, going to be so mad. She hasn't lost her sister. Uh, we cut back to uh, Gideon asking Charles where Jeffrey is. He doesn't know. When he last left him, he was at home. Uh, another cop comes in and says, an eight-year-old girl, Tracy Bell, has been reported missing. Last seen getting off her school bus on Fuller Road. Seems a bit quick to me, AJ. Who called this in so fast? But enough time must have passed. And there's this whole thing going on yes. in town. So the moment she didn't show up, right. the parents must have said, oh, my God, she's not shown up. Kids are missing. It's, Let me call the police. Yeah, the so heightened I, I sense of urgency in the town makes this plausible, especially with a girl that young. And maybe even if they're – maybe if the parents weren't even at home, but they would, like, just happen to see the bully kids walk by like, oh, you were supposed to walk home with her. <laughs> like, I, I can see this right. very quickly happening in this situation. So uh, the team immediately hops into action. Then we cut to the kids walking. Uh, and indeed, some time has passed because the girl, Tracy, she's tired from walking so much, clearly. So they've walked for a little while. Uh, Jeffrey Charles is telling her that she's going too slow. And she says, look, her book bag is too heavy. Her legs are tired. And he all of a sudden just grabs the bag from her and flings it away. And Tracy is like, why did you do that? And he starts screaming at her, shut up, keep walking. And now she's starting to sense the danger. And she starts saying, oh, she doesn't feel good. And Jeffrey starts screaming at her, I told you to shut up. And he pushes her down. And he's actually going in to swing his bat down on her. But Tracy is, is resilient. And she kicks him in the leg which makes him go down. So apparently it was a good kick. And uh, she gets up and, and manages to start running away from it. Yeah, you know, we know it's the unsub, so this is not a surprise to us. So it's just like, it's just a matter of time. Can, can she, can this poor little girl run long enough to avoid getting beaten to death? Or will the BAU find her? BAU team has arrived at the bus stop. They look around. They figure out that Jeffrey was probably angered after his mom left and he resented his dad for spending more time at work with the other kids than with him. And he probably took that rage out on any kid he viewed having something that he didn't have. They figure Jeffrey probably approached her at this bus stop, but where did he take her? And JJ is like, such heavy patrolling is going on in this town. How did he manage to take a little girl without being seen? And Morgan says, well, uh, Slapped the head uh, because we told him exactly how. Uh, 
the buddy system, remember? In the process of educating the public, we also educated a killer. And JJ is like, oh, when it's off season from baseball, where would a 12-year-old kid hang out then? And Gideon says, <clears throat> a park surrounded by woods. Let's go. And we cut to you know Tracy running through the woods. And Jeffrey has lost her. It's it's straight up horror movie scene right now with a 12-year-old boy as your villain. Um, and he's calling after her, Tracy, Tracy. Let's just go home. I was only playing. <laughs> Why do you have to be such a baby, Tracy? The team is now at the park part of the woods where they do find Tracy Bell's backpack. And Gideon says, he's got her in these woods split up. Tracy is running through the woods. She's so tired. She's exhausted. She sits by a tree. But Jeffrey comes around the corner. He spotted her. He's swinging the bat at her, but that's enough to get her up and running no matter how tired it's she is. motivation, yeah. <laughs> she starts screaming. Yeah, exactly. She starts screaming. He starts frantically swinging the bat at her, but uh, he's just hitting the ground at this point. So basically, he this is, this is Jeffrey fanning. <laughs> Ooh, so bad it's good. Yeah, he's just hitting her, hitting the ground. Everyone at the search that's searching can hear her screaming. Eventually, they converge upon them, and Gideon is the one that is able to grab Jeffrey, stop him before he can hurt poor, poor little Tracy Bell Fanning. Uh, and Tracy is okay. Later, we get to see it's almost a montage. It's not really a montage because it's so short. But they are playing something that sounds like Sarah McGaughan or, or some kind of song like that. So, yeah, playing some sort in the of background. lament towards youth gone by. <laughs> right. And uh, we see Mr. Charles looking sadly at his son, uh, who is in the backseat of the cop car. They do the thing where they touch the hands on the window, the kid and the father. Just before this, Gideon is, is in that backseat, too, and he's asked Jeffrey... Why did he hurt these kids? And Jeffrey just simply turns around and says, because I wanted to. That's all you're going to get, Gideon. Oh, what a great cold line. What great read by the kid. It just ugh, just chilling. Like you, you could profile all you want. And you could try and figure, oh, maybe it was this or maybe it was that. And like, you know, even this last scene, Morgan's like, well, you know, his father was going to. I just wanted to. <laughs> I'm just evil. <laughs> Yeah. So after that, we cut to the BAU jet. They're flying home. And Reed is saying, you know what? I should have said something. He's talking to Morgan. I should have said something to Gideon or Hotch or any of you guys. I talked to Elle that night. I knew she wasn't right. I, I just should have told someone. And Morgan says, look, Reed, listen to me. Don't do that to yourself. You were just trying to help a friend. You hear me? Don't go there. Elle made her own choice. That's on her. Uh, Gideon is talking on the phone with Hotch and saying, well, she hasn't admitted anything. And No, well, you're doing the right thing. And Hotch says, yeah, I know that. See you in a few hours. Okay. And Elle has now walked into Hotch's office. She says, Gideon. And, and Hotch is like, yeah. And, and Elle says, tell him I said goodbye. She puts her gun and badge down on Hotch's desk. She says, this is not 
and an admission of guilt. So she still ain't going out, you know, going out like that. (laughs) Yep. But she does say when she first started this job, the sound of the phone ringing a call from the bureau, she would get so excited. Blood would race through her veins. Now the same sound just paralyzes her. She's not the same person anymore. And that night at Lee's, if she had to do it all over again, she wouldn't change a thing. And Hotch is like, even though you killed someone, of course, Elle isn't going to answer that. She just says, I guess that's it then. And you know what? When I first joined this team, I couldn't figure out why you would never, ever smile. Now, I think I'm actually going to miss that. And she turns around and leaves. And Hotch, not smiling, says, I'm going to miss you too. End of the episode. And that's the end of L. (laughs) Yeah, I'm assuming she's not coming back. Uh, I'm going to miss her as well, as annoying as she was for this season and a half or almost season and a half. She still had some good moments. We won't talk about the train episode, but she still (laughs) had some good moments and uh, she was interesting, annoying, but interesting. And it's very sad that what the Fisher King did led her to this quick. I mean, in the, in the, in the scheme of things, this end, to be honest though, all through her existence on this show, I kind of felt something was wrong with her. Something was off with her. I mean, that was the interesting thing about her. And I was hoping it was something that would be resolved, but instead this is where we are. Well, I mean, in a way, in a way it is resolved and it, it, she has agency over the way it's resolved, which I think is pretty cool is like, you know, she chooses to leave. Like she could have stayed and she had gotten away with it, but she's like, you know, all right, fine, I'll, I'll go. And I wouldn't change a thing and I'm not admitting anything. And hey, I think what this episode did a really nice job was showing how much fun that J.J., Morgan, and Reed were having and how lighthearted it was because it has been, since the start of the season, so oppressive and dour because L's been around and L's been off and it's impacted everybody and she didn't go on this trip and you could see how much fun they're having amidst everything else and all the, all the horrificness they're still able to have find these moments of light and she was sucking all of that out of them so you know right. it, it's to me it's like oh it's good that she's leaving because they they don't need her to, to function in fact they probably function better without her even though as a person they care about her she's a friend but you know, as Morgan said, she did this. This is on her. Exactly. Um, well, I guess that was her send-off, but I, I'll obviously find out what happens next uh, when I watch the next episode. That works. Or, yeah. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I was going to say, if one of my predictions had been who leaves the cast first, it, it would have been Elle. So I think they did a good job of, of at least... We knew from the get-go that something was going on. Yeah, absolutely. And events changed her circumstances. All right. Now, yeah, they didn't didn't say the title this week, which was a little frustrating because it would have been so easy for them to just say he's the town boogeyman at one point. Again, I wish they would pick the title of his name title from after you read the script, pick the title. But they don't don't always do that. So, I mean, I could accept them not saying aftermath, like I said last week, because it was so clear that that's what it was about. 
But yeah, this this show didn't shout boogeyman to me, even though. Yeah, exactly. I think it was a it was a poor choice. But uh, Halloween time, you're right, boogeyman, and you know. Let's bring out the barometer, AJ. Did our team win this week? Uh, now, even though L is leading the team, and it may feel like a loss, that loss happened last week. This is just the aftermath of aftermath. <laughs> so. I'm not I'm not holding any of the L stuff against what they did this week. They won this week. You know, they pretty much solved the case that they were not going to get any help from the locals on. The girl goes missing. They find the girl. Yeah, they weren't necessarily right <laughs> uh, immediately, but, you know, they, they, they adjusted. They, did, they didn't buy into one scheme too long. This is a win for the team and well-deserved. It's been a while. <laughs> well, let's get that W to move to 3-2-1 and one on the year. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, it has been heavy so far, these, these first few uh, episodes of the season. So, uh, good for them. And uh, next, AJ, we like to have a little quiz inspired by the episode that we watched. Indeed. My other podcast beat my guests. This is a trivia podcast, and so I like the trivia i like to bring a little bit of flavor for it here. Here, then, are three questions for you, inspired by uh, the episode we just saw. Starting with question one. The uh, young Jeffrey Charles, our unsub in this episode, was portrayed by Cameron Moynihan, who, when he grew up, would go on to be in 110 episodes of what long-running show? Uh, so, I like this show and i like it so much that the dang name uh <laughs> it's not it's the william macy showtime uh show uh <laughs> uh what is that show un no not unbreakable uh, <laughs> what the heck is the name of that show this is oh this is really annoying i know i see it clearly in my head the show is called like misfits no it's called uh oh aj can't you give it to me i know exactly what show it is i just can't think of the name right now i hate i will give you i'll give you a hint the name of the show is exactly the opposite of what you're feeling right now uh it sucks as soon as you say it i'm gonna go of course i can't I, i can't come up with the name of it uh unfaithful oh do you feel a sense of shame right now no, I feel shameless. <laughs> dang it. Uh, dang it, dang it. I will ponder whether or not to give you the point. Uh, uh, that's okay. It's it's fair. I wouldn't I if I was in a trivia contest and I had to give an answer, they would not accept. Hey, I know every other detail yeah. about the show. <laughs> My experience is of course the reverse of it all is that I I watched uh, recently during, you know, this is binge binge era of television I, I put on shameless for the first time and watched an episode and then i was like wait he looks familiar and then i was like oh he's the kid from the boogeyman <laughs> all grown up wow so wow. getting that in reverse is really weird <laughs> and when i first saw, I, I watched shameless um probably only the first four seasons 
because that's when I had Showtime. I don't have Showtime anymore, and that's when I stopped watching it. But um, I recognized him because I knew him from Harry Potter. He was in the Harry Potter series. He was one of those Weasley kids, I believe. There you go. Yeah, he played Ian Gallagher in Shameless. Uh, Very good in the few episodes I've seen of that, but I mean, not surprising because he's really good in this episode of Criminal Minds. I mean, that evil just oozes off of him. Uh, To get that as a kid, it's kind of scary, but uh, hey... Seems like he stayed on the straight and narrow because he's still acting today. Right. All right. There you go. Let's go to question two. Okay. According to most reports, interviews at the time, interviews since, what was the reason that L was written off a criminal mind? What was the real life reason that caused Lola Guardini to leave the show? I'm going to be multiple choice on this one. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Relax, relax. Shameless. Uh, is it A, Mandy Patinkin simply hated her? Is it B, she was fired for being late to the set one too many times? Is it C, she got pregnant and didn't tell the crew? Or is it D, she hated Los Angeles and wanted to go away. Huh. So I don't know. I didn't read any press on this once we decided we were doing this and I realized I was going to be quizzed. I didn't even know for sure that she would be the first one to leave. All of these sound like viable reasons. The one I'd love it to be is that Mandy Patinkin just hated her. Uh, (laughs) That sounds viable too. I was about to go with she didn't like she didn't like L.A. and she wanted to leave. But I remember Mr. Echo left Lost because he didn't like Hawaii and he wanted to leave. And I think, you know, when you gather your ideas for answers here, you go to other real examples of things that happened. And maybe you happen to look at Mr. Echo. Maybe not. But I'm going to think that. And I and I know that one. So I'm going to say that it's not that, even though I was about to go with it. So that leaves me, and I'm sad that you didn't make one of the choices, just just that haircut that she had. <laughs> but I, I'm going to make the choice that she was pregnant. Okay. It's a fine, fine choice. Uh, unfortunately, it is not the correct choice. Uh, I did not even consider thinking about Adewale. And uh, his desire to not be in Hawaii anymore. Oh, no. Lola just did not like Los Angeles and wanted to move back home to New York. Oh, man. Dang it. I tricked myself. That was going to be my first answer. You played yourself, (laughs) son. (laughs) Uh, Oh, well. Oh, indeed. All right. Let's get to my favorite question of every week where we preview next week's episode. And you try to guess which of these options is the actual plot of next week's episode, which we will be covering here on Polonius Pundits. It is Criminal Minds Season 2. What are we up to? Episode 7. My goodness, time is flying. And the name of this episode is North Mammon. M-A-M-M-O-N. North Mammon. Is it A... A Satan-worshipping killer wreaks havoc on J.J.'s hometown. 
Is it B, interview day for L's potential replacement comes to a screeching halt when one of the candidates ends up dead? Is it C, it's a saw-like kidnapping where the captives will only be let go by their captor if they kill one of themselves off? Or is it D, spelunkers go missing on the same day as a previous group of spelunkers went missing exactly 10 years earlier? Ooh, all good choices, AJ. All good choices. Again, I'm going to avoid the immediate pickup of the plot from this week. So I'm going to not pick the L's replacement one. I think I like, well, my answer, and this is obviously a guess, uh, as it is every week. (laughs) 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 Uh, I'm going to go with, well, I tell you, I'm fighting between A and D. I don't know what a mammon is. It does sound like it could be a town name. Uh, And so that's why I'm considering that. Maybe it's JJ's home. And choice D just sounded like, I don't know. It was great to say Spelunker. It sounded like the kind of an odd case that maybe that they would work on. Considering those choices, I'm going to go with choice A, killing in JJ's hometown. All right. You're going with choice A, a killing in JJ's hometown, perhaps a hometown surrounded by a bunch of woods that she brought up this week. Uh, A bunch of Satan worshippers in those woods, perhaps. You were really close between A and D, which of course means that the correct answer is C. (laughs) A saw like kidnapping where the captives will only be let go by the captor. If they kill one of themselves off. Oh, well, that's what I was actually hoping it was going to be. <laughs> so, cool. Can't wait. There you go. That's our quiz. And we'll have that next week on Phenomenal Pundits. Dropping that average, AJ. <laughs> Dropping that average. Average. All right, uh, folks. It's been fun, but that's it. Go home. Uh, that's the show for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you had a good time. Please be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to spread the word and let your friends know about us. You can also write to us. We're going for email number two. So go ahead and be the one to send that uh, at feloniouspundits at gmail.com. Or follow our lively Twitter at podcast underscore pundits. You know, if no emails or start a- coming in, then you should just read email one over and over again every episode <laughs> until somebody does. That may happen pretty <laughs> soon. I'll threaten it. Oh, boy. For AJ Mask, guys, this is Katad Spinsgard saying goodbye and keep profiling. Wheels up! Mark, what makes people evil? Alice. Evil is a word people use when they've given up trying to understand someone. There's a reason for everything if we could just find it. From the movie The Good Son.